and welcome to the Stranger Times podcast, award-winning, dying to mention it, etc. Quaif here, I hope you're well. As I record this, it is the week after the launch of Relight My Fire, and oh, what a week it was, ladies and gentlemen. It was it was fabulous, it was exhausting, I won't lie to you. I drove a lot of miles, I went up and down the country quite a bit, covered an awful lot of ground, and um, yeah, it was great. The live events in particular were fantastic. Thank you if you came along to them, and I was, was at Kibbert, Manchester, Leeds, Liverpool, and we did the online one as well, and I'm off to Glasgow tomorrow for the already sold out event with Chris Brokemeyer, which is obviously something I've mentioned before, very excited about. Yeah, it was great and it was lovely. We had bigger crowds this time than we had at the, you know, all the events last time round, which is just super. And honestly, you kind of get blasé about these things, but meeting people who enjoy your books and genuinely, you know, are excited to see a new one is honest to God lovely. And it's something I, I really hope I never want to be blasé about these things. And I, I, I think people enjoying your work and stuff is such a fabulous, special thing that I, I really feel very humble and appreciate it a great deal when I do meet people so it's lovely so thank you very much and again thank you for everyone who's, who's all the people sent, sent messages and reviews and stuff again it's fantastic and you do you know I do really appreciate those things if you get a chance as always bung a bit review is, is a wonderful assistance thank you very much yeah it was a great was a great week as I said a lot of travelling oh we had, we also had the online stuff we had a couple of technical issues by the way the online launch on Friday, uh, for some reason, didn't work quite properly, but it did eventually get working. So thank you if you're there and you bore with us for that. And also, there's I've done the Easter egg thing again for the book where there's a QR code and a URL at the back of the books. And if you scan the QR code, it brings you to the website. And you can see a video with me discussing things that happen in the book because obviously it's full of spoilers because it's the idea is you've read the book. At least that's the idea. Unfortunately, with the QR code... Sod's Law, a video corrupted on YouTube and we discovered that if you put up a new video it won't have the same thing so the QR code might not be working. If you go to the um, the URL which I believe is a strangertimes.co.uk forward slash back for good uh, obviously don't do that until you've read slash listened to the book but once you've done that you can see a video of me chatting through it and um, yeah we're hoping to get the QR code fixed in, in later editions but that's something we're currently working on. It was one of those really annoying things that just come out of nowhere and go wrong in launch week but that's the joy of these things isn't it yeah outside of that i think we can, this this will be the last episode of this series obviously there will be episodes of the strange times podcast in the in the future to be honest with this time around there was kind of like a christmas special and a halloween special and uh i think there was a live thing of me reading the chapter and stuff like that as well so it was a bit more spread out probably be a bit more like that in the future rather than just cramming everything into january and february and going forward the stranger times the next book, which, by the way, I'm not won't be writing for a while because basically the next book is a Christmas book, almost certainly. So by the nature of that, it can't come out in January. Nobody wants a Christmas book in January. So the bad news is the next Stranger Time novel might be a bit later in the cycle. The good news is between now and the next Stranger Times novel, I am very much hoping to bring out a collection of the short stories that you've enjoyed in this podcast. But it won't be all of them. I imagine we just pick out the best selection sort of thing. And invariably, a couple of new ones as well. So that will be coming out. So next year, the schedule might be a bit different, but you'll get more Stranger Times overall. So look at it that way as a positive. Don't be so negative. Why are you always so negative? But yes, that'll be happening. And I have, as I said, bizarrely, actually, I was supposed to be, I was so knackered from like, I was pretty exhausted because I never sleep well in hotels. So I was kind of supposed to be just chilling out for the weekend. And uh, I did spend most of Saturday getting my face licked by Diller while I lay in the bed. But uh, Sunday, I was supposed to have a lie in and I ended up getting up ridiculously early because my brain wrote the first chapter of the next Stranger Times book or about the first half chapter of it. 
I can tell you the opening line as it currently stands. This may well change, but if you're, if you're, uh, you can ask me about this in a year's time and see if it happens to be the case. But the opening line at the moment is, "We are dead things, you and I." There you go. So I guess I've got. I'm, I'm very excited about the idea for the new for the next book, and you know, just the stranger times in general. Even this week, just meeting everyone who's enjoyed the books and stuff has just given me more energy to go and do them. So there will be. I mean, it's going to be. A, I'll be writing a bunny book. I'm also doing a secret project with my wife at the minute and uh, we'll see how all that stuff goes but plenty of stuff coming in the future basically you know don't worry everything is everything shall proceed as these things do speaking of proceeding that was almost a link we have as the final episode in this series a brand new stranger time short story written by me and narrated by the wonderful ruth coburn who was on the last series i'm sure you remember did a fantastic job on a story called i think it was called the thing about the future this one is called paint by numbers which i'll be honest i was never a title i liked and i I kept meaning to come up with a better one and never did so uh, i guess it's called that now but yes and the the odd thing about this is i think i mentioned this briefly in a previous episode but we did the story that mark stayed did such a great job narrating that was based in germany because i left the house and went to germany with wonder wife when we were doing the book tours over there hello to all of our german friends and Yes, then the other time I left, I leave the house because I don't generally do that outside of walking the dog. I'm surprised, by the way, none of these stories have been about walking a dog. That feels like something's going to happen eventually, doesn't it? I mean, I've already got the author's note. Oh, yeah, that was the other thing this week. The author's note went viral again. The author's note of Relight My Fire. Generally, again, most people understand what it was. But there were some hilarious people. Shout out to the people who said I disrespected my dog by referring to him as the beloved idiot. As I did in a tweet, some of you may have seen. Just to clarify, I have said that I will have every single copy of that book pumped just as soon as the dog learns to read. Yeah, it's, it's always the fun little people you get on the internet. Most people, again... Lovely. I think it's hilarious. Anyone who's trying to argue about the semantics of the, you know, word choices or indeed suggesting one guy suggested it was something to do with the Nazi. It's incredible how far some people can go Nazis and stuff. And I have realised with all these people that they were never going to read the book anyway. It's a good way of weeding them out, to be honest. But yes, sorry, back to... Yes, that's the dog thing. But back to leaving the house. The other thing I do is, if you've ever seen one of my live events, you'll notice in my office there's a table behind me which is invariably full of paints and half-painted miniatures because uh, I'd taken up... Basically, I needed a hobby a couple of years ago because I gave up doing being a stand-up comedian and it turned out I needed a reason to leave the house that didn't involve having a dog with me uh, or else my wife was going to divorce me. I mean, she didn't say it in those words, but there was definitely the implication there. So I uh, got myself a hobby and I, I, I enjoy gaming, primarily something called Blood Bowl, if you're interested, which is a sort of weird... It's like the NFL if it was played by uh, orcs and elves and stuff. It's basically a ridiculous game that I enjoy playing immensely and I'm, I'm very lucky to be in a, a lovely group. And we play in uh, Element Games in Stockport, which is um, probably the best place in the country, frankly, to play games. It was very lucky to uh, live so close to it. And weirdly, that features Element Games and Stockport features in this story. In fact, fun little thing, uh, in this story, there's a, a character that is the manager of Element Games and his wife, Keith and Rachel. And they are, in fact, they, those are fictitious versions of real people. Let me say that. Because Keith is indeed the manager of Element Games and Rachel is indeed his wife. They're good mates of mine. Uh, I've actually played Blood Bowl against both of them regularly. And I said for the laugh, with their mind being mentioned in the story, and for legal reasons, I should point out, they've said they're fine with it. They have read the story. I think Rachel's read it and Keith's heard things read out to him because he's a very busy man. He can't be reading stuff. So anyway, yes, that's in it. And it, it is, it's about the hobby arena, but don't worry, it's not something, if you don't, have any interest in the hobby don't worry about that I've not written a story that only people who are fans of something could appreciate because I've done this before you know what I mean I sound like professional almost but yeah I genuinely love doing it by the way 
the weird thing about it is because people see how much paint stuff I have behind me, and I do have quite a lot, frankly. And they always go, "Well, you must be amazing at it." You go, "No, no, I'm terrible. If anyone see my handwriting, I can't write. Never mind paint." But weirdly, I've discovered that painting miniatures, despite the fact I'm awful at it, is surprisingly relaxing, and frankly, very good for your mental health. And it's an excellent way when I'm writing to. I can turn my brain off, do a bit of that for about an hour, and it's surprising how much my brain does work while I'm leaving it alone, while I'm just mindlessly painting something. So uh, I highly recommend it if, uh, if you're doing any kind of endeavour. Find yourself something like that that you're not terribly good at. It doesn't matter, but you find relaxing. So without further ado, thank you as always for all the support. We'll be talking to you again in the future. Uh, as always, if you're not on the main list, go to thestrangertimes.co.uk and sign up there just so you make sure you're up to date on everything that's going on. And again, thanks for having turned up. Thank the events. Thanks for all the support. Thanks for all the, the reviews. It's been a great week. And I look forward to, you know, it's, it's got me excited to get back to writing again. And um, yes, many more books in the future. Finger crossed. All being well. And on that note, I shall leave you in the capable vocal hands of the magnificent Ruth Coburn reading what I never bothered change as paint by numbers. So take care of yourselves. And I'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> Lorna heard it before she saw it. That unmistakable murmur of intense conversation at the top of the stairs. Instantly, she got a sickly mix of excitement and dread in the pit of her stomach. Diablo had struck again. The staircase in question led up to Element Games, which took up the whole first floor above a warehouse in an Aikido dojo. From the outside, the building didn't look like much, It sat in a small industrial estate that looked like every other small industrial estate except the car park in this one had so many potholes you could only assume it must be deliberate. Possibly an art installation celebrating the pothole throughout history. When it rained, people needed dinghies to get to their cars. And this was Stockport, so it rained a lot. Inside, though, that was another matter. She'd once heard a staff member describe it as Nerd Nirvana, and it was hard to disagree. They had every board game, tabletop wargaming and role-playing game under the sun, plus all the paints and supplies required to complete the miniatures that were such a core part of all of the aforementioned. For those outside the cult, the existence of such a place would perhaps come as a surprise. This was the age of the Xbox, virtual reality and online gaming after all. Did people still play board games except perhaps at Christmas? The reality was it was a billion-pound industry that was booming like never before. The reasons were numerous, but one that was easy to point to was that when we'd all been locked down, paint sets and models could still be delivered to your door and suddenly a lot of people with disposable incomes had nothing better to do with their time. It turns out, even this generation could get sick of screens. Lorna didn't play. A couple of years ago, she'd been living with Carl, who also didn't play, but who, at one point, had decided he would. Never a man for half measures, or indeed logic, he'd spent money that would have been spent on a nice holiday acquiring an army of space marines which he painted a total of two before losing interest. Carl was also a great man for giving up as soon as he realised he wasn't instantly great at something. This had also been his attitude to being a boyfriend. The fact they stayed together as long as they had said more about her self-image than she was prepared to admit. If she was honest, Lorna had only started to paint them out of spite, at least initially. In hindsight, 
Taking up a time-consuming hobby purely to annoy your partner was probably another rather obvious sign of a relationship doomed to fail. But you never see these things that clearly when you're in the midst of a battle. And so Carl had argued with Korean teenagers on the PlayStation while Lorna had been in the spare room painting. There were tutorials on YouTube and she'd always loved art in school, but everyone knew there were no jobs in it, and that was before AI made graphic design the new spinning Jenny. When she'd finished the army, she'd been rather pleased with it. Carl had made a point of showing no interest, but she caught him sneaking in to look when he thought she'd gone to bed. Once completed, they'd just sat there on the shelf, a monument to a relationship going nowhere. She and Carl finally broke up after her sister literally bumped into him in the northern quarter while he'd been exiting a massage parlour on his way to work, not the kind of place you'd go for an actual massage. He'd denied everything, of course, but even now, part of Lorna still wanted an explanation. Him being a sleazy arse didn't come as a massive shock. But really, 8am in the morning? Nobody was that much of a morning person. When he'd moved out, Carl had taken the Space Marines with him, and the last text they exchanged was him gleefully explaining how he'd sold them on eBay for three times as much as they'd cost. The intent was to piss her off, and it had, initially. Then she'd gone out and bought herself some more, painted them, and sold them for five times their cost. Eighteen months later, she had more commissions than she could comfortably take on, and she'd made miniature painting into a full-time job. It turned out people would gladly pay for quality, and the more she painted, the better she'd become. In fact, she'd been heralded by more than a few people as being the best, at least the best in the area. She'd been encouraged to enter the Golden Demon or one of the other prestigious painting competitions, and she was thinking about it. It'd certainly be good for business. And then, Diablo had happened. She trudged up the stairs, expecting the worst. She'd just been dropping in to pick up some airbrush cleaning fluid. The morning had found her feeling pretty good, focused, energised. And now there was this, a kicking her self-confidence could do without. It was 11am on a Monday, but there was still a crowd of about a dozen worshippers gathered around the display cabinet by the door. They would have been considerably closer, save from the restraining force that was Rachel, self-appointed crowd steward, who'd positioned herself at the front. Stop breathing on the glass, she instructed one of the most earnest of the acolytes. I have to breathe. That's debatable, came the icy response. Rachel possessed the kind of untapped fury that could only come from teaching children music. Lorna liked her but she had to acknowledge that as she found out she'd snapped and gone on a killing spree with a recorder, she wouldn't be 100% surprised. "'Can I touch it?' asked another member of the crowd. Rachel fixed him with a steely look. "'Anything of yours touches that glass. Don't expect to get it back.' Okay. This was Keith, Rachel's husband and the manager of the shop, who was moving through the crowd, a tight smile on his lips. Let's ease up on the overt threats of violence. I'm sure everyone understands the rules. Rachel narrowed her eyes. They will, after we make an example of one for the others. Keith placed a hand on his wife's arm and began guiding her away. 
I think your blood sugar might be low. Let's get you a banana. But the display! It's in a cabinet, said Keith, before adding, for the benefit of the gathered crowd, that is armed, and if anyone touches it, they're barred from the shop, just like the sign says. There indeed was a sign. Also, love, you don't actually work here. This place needs discipline. Does it, though? Rachel pointed at the cabinet as she was being dragged away. Obey the sign! Even from the back of the crowd, Lorna could see the new miniature. You could say it didn't look like much, in the sense that the other cabinets contained large elaborate monsters, entire massed armies, complex dioramas and all manner of other displays. This was just one solitary figure, four centimetres high, depicting a knight in battered armour, holding a bloodied sword down by his side, staring off into the distance. The rest of it was painted to an exquisite standard, but it was the eyes. This was the third example of the mysterious Diablo's work Lorna had seen, and in each one it had been the eyes that were inexplicable. It wasn't the cliché of them following you across the room so much as looking right through you, like the figure's mind was elsewhere. Somehow, using just paint, presumably the same paint everyone else had access to, Diablo managed to instil a chilling amount of humanity in their work. The first piece had been a portly Viking wielding a warhammer with a look of wild-eyed rage across his bearded face. The second, a female druid cowering with fear, and this one, a bloodied knight somehow haunted by battle. Lorna was good, very good, but not only couldn't she match the level of skill those figures demonstrated, she couldn't even begin to tell you how it was done. Nobody could. Not that it stopped them trying. I heard Diablo studied with Tibetan monks, said a young man near the front. Oh, I, said one of his older compatriots, those famous miniature painting monks. I think they live one mountain over from the equally famous Corby registered heating repair monks. This was greeted with poorly stifled giggles and smirks from the rest of the throng. That's what I heard, said the younger man defensively, fighting the losing battle to maintain the honour of his take. I heard Diablo uses speed paints, said another voice. Speed paints, scoffed the self-appointed arbiter of these things. Are you mad? You'd never get that level of detail with speed paints. You mark my words, it's nanobots. That figure isn't painted at all. It's been assembled at a subatomic level by top-secret NASA technology. That was the stuff of science fiction, but Lorna watched as everyone looked again at the figurine and then couldn't bring themselves to discount it entirely. Fifteen minutes later, she had picked up her order. It took a lot longer than normal as the shop was rammed. Lorna passed Keith on the way out, restocking a display of paint sets. Busy day? she asked. Yeah? A new Diablo certainly brings out the crowds. It's only been there for a couple of hours. Thanks to social media, we'll be packed out all week, all month, probably. He grinned to himself, the smile of a manager of an independent business who was going to have to order more stock. Any chance of the mysterious Diablo turning up and taking a bow? Keith shook his head. 
He or she doesn't seem interested. Just sends it in. Really? You must have some way of getting in contact with them, though. Keith gave Lorna a shrewd look. I was wondering when you'd get round to asking. Everyone else has. I I just... Let me save you some time, Lorna. They don't take commissions, do masterclasses, answer emails looking for tips. None of it. But... Keith stopped and gave her his full attention. Look, you're a good painter. A great one. Don't go comparing yourself to other people. Trust me on this. That way, madness lies. Now, if you'll excuse me, we're out of black spray cans and I need to stop my staff from spending all day staring at the display cabinets with everyone else. Madness. That was the word Keith had used, wasn't it? Madness. If this was not that, then it was certainly madness adjacent. She sat in her car at 3am while the rain sheeted down around her, a full-on torrent. She'd gone home and spent the entire day in the spare room she rather gallantly referred to as her studio. She had a lot of work to get done, two big commissions to finish, but she just sat there, holding a brush in her fingers, unable to do anything. She looked round at the shelves that surrounded her. Everything she'd ever done was simply not good enough. She was trapped under an avalanche of her own inadequacies and there was only one way out. One person who could pull her to safety whether they bloody well wanted to or not. That was why she was here, parked up on the street outside Element Games, considering doing something incredibly stupid. It wasn't technically a burglary. At least she didn't think so. She wasn't intending to take anything, at least nothing beyond information. It was, however, definitely both breaking and entering. She hadn't bothered googling the legal definition of that. Now that she thought about it, though, breaking without the entering was just vandalism, and entering without breaking, well, that was just wandering in, wasn't it? Even as she pretended to consider her options, she knew she was going ahead with this stupid idea. She'd known it when she'd got into the car. In fact, she'd known it as soon as she'd gone looking for the black leather gloves she now wore. Somewhere in that building, presumably in Keith's office, there would be contact information for whoever the hell Diablo was. If they weren't going to give it to her, she'd take it. Painting was the one thing in her life she'd ever been truly great at and she'd be damned if she was giving up without a fight. She'd noticed during the week that the fencing behind the council car park and the industrial estate had been damaged, meaning it was easy to get in. From there, there was scaffolding around the building. All she had to do was climb up, find a likely-looking window and gain entry. She had a screwdriver and a hammer in a small satchel sitting on the passenger seat. She also had a wad of £20 notes shoved into her front pocket. She'd leave it behind to pay for the window. She wasn't a criminal. She was an artist, albeit one who was about to commit a crime. The fence had been harder to circumnavigate than expected, resulting in her catching her jeans on the fencing and stumbling over and scraping her palms on the car park gravel as she landed. Luckily, the place wasn't big enough to warrant having a security guard. At least, she didn't think so. It occurred to her, belatedly, that she probably should have checked that first. Ah well, too late now. The scaffolding, similarly, proved more challenging than anticipated. 
Lorna hadn't really exercised since school. She hadn't even been good at it then, so metal poles slippery with icy rain thawed her admittedly sketchy plan of nimbly scaling the building like Catwoman minus the impractical leather outfit. Eventually, she resorted to borrowing a wheelie bin belonging to the garage next door and clumsily managed to get a leg up onto the first platform on her fourth attempt. And so it was, now scratched, bruised and thoroughly soaked, she found herself looking at the row of windows. If everything had been harder than expected so far, it seemed her luck had finally taken a turn. Even in the dim light offered from the street's lights, she could see that one of the windows was ajar. Not only that, she was 90% sure it was the one for Keith's office. No breaking required, just entering. That'd save her a few quid, not to mention leaving her feeling less like a dirty criminal. She carefully pushed the window open and took a final surreptitious look around to make sure she wasn't being observed. As she carefully lowered her soggy sneakered foot down onto the carpet, Lorna had a few brief moments of feeling like she sort of knew what she was doing. This lasted just as long as it took the bastard cat who'd no doubt been waiting for the perfect moment to land on the scaffolding right beside her whilst never acknowledging her presence. Not that it had much chance to do so, as the involuntary spasm of terror passing through Lorna's body caused her to fall through the window with a squeal and end up in a soggy heap on the floor of the dark office. At least, the briefly dark office. She had just been regathering herself when the lamp on the desk turned on to reveal Keith sitting there. All right, Lorna. Always nice to meet an enthusiastic customer. I... Lorna didn't say anything else because there wasn't much else to say. She slumped onto the floor and threw her hands up. Okay, call the police. Keith looked down at her as he scratched at his neck. I should. Were you waiting in here for me? Yeah, I recognise the look. You're not the first person to try this. Seriously, she asked. And you've been sitting here all night? Fred saw. But be honest, it looked pretty cool when I turned the light on, didn't it? You're weird. Uh, says the woman who I assume is breaking in to find out how to get hold of a stupid painter. Lorna folded her arms. Uh, technically, I didn't break. I only entered. Only because I left the window open. This office is cold enough when the window hasn't been smashed in. You're enjoying this, aren't you? I've been sitting here for three hours doing accounts on my own time. You're damn right I'm enjoying this. I'm a man who enjoys being right about stuff. Congrats, she said. Thanks. And would now be a good time for me to repeat the salient points from our chat earlier. Forget about Diablo. Comparisonitis can be fatal if you don't treat the infection quickly. I just... Lorna looked Keith directly in the eyes. I need to know. Are you seriously going to make me go into the cliché about curiosity's effect on the life expectancy of cats? Lorna pointed out the window. If I ever get hold of that bastard Moggy on the scaffolding, it won't be curiosity that kills it. It's a guard cat. You leave it alone. You're the actual criminal here. I just have to know, she repeated. Keith stared down at her for a long moment and then shook his head. Great. 
So, I either call the cops or give you what you want. Because you're going to try this or something equally stupid again if I don't, aren't you? Lorna hadn't thought that far ahead, but as soon as he said, she realised he was right. Yeah, he said, without waiting for a response. That's what I figured. He sighed and wrote something on a post-it note. It's the address of a post office box in Macclesfield that we sent paint supplies to. That's all I've got. He ripped off the post-it and held it out to her between two fingers. As Lorna went to grab it, he pulled it away. For what it's worth, let me say yet again, this is a terrible idea that'll lead you nowhere good. Lorna said nothing. She just stared intently at his hand. After a few seconds, he tutted loudly and handed her the post-it note. And move that wheelie bin back before you leave. It was on the third day of her stakeout that Lorna started to feel like a fool. Actually, no. It was on the first day. The following morning, she'd arrived in Macclesfield at 9am with the idea to watch the post boxes in the mailboxes etc. office. It was about 9.05 when she realised how stupid an idea it was. She went in and stood there awkwardly, while the woman behind the counter, five minutes into her workday and apparently already bored out of her mind, stared at her like a spillage she was unwilling to deal with. Lorna then engaged in an awkward conversation about renting a mailbox and was given a pamphlet. She also managed to extract the information that the mailboxes were out the back and people could only access theirs once they showed ID. Lorna then proceeded to stand around on the street outside for a while, trying and failing to look inconspicuous. There was a pub beside the shop, but it offered no view of the door, and even if it did, she couldn't see the mailboxes. The stakeout idea had proven entirely impractical. She'd driven home feeling defeated. At least until inspiration struck. The next day, she was back at 9am and delivering a package to the same woman behind the counter. If she recognised Lorna, she gave no indication of it, but then she was also giving off strong vibes that she was considering ending it all by lunchtime, so it was hard to say. Lorna had walked back to her car feeling positively giddy. The parcel she'd delivered to the mailbox number contained a Warhammer 4000 Space Marine Terminator Chaplin Tarentus. A single, rare model, still in its box, costing over a hundred quid if you could get your hands on one at all. She'd been given it to paint and it wasn't hers to give away, but she'd deal with that later. The reason she was so pleased with herself was that inside the box was an Apple AirTag synced to her phone. She had carefully opened the packaging, placed it inside and then resealed it. As soon as Diablo picked up the box, she'd be able to track them. Her initial optimism had drained away over the next couple of days. She was sitting in her car park a hundred yards away, watching a blue dot resolutely refuse to move. It had dawned on her that it could be weeks, maybe even months before Diablo came to check their mailbox. Along with that, there was the other thought. Keith may have sent her on a total wild goose chase to teach her a lesson. She didn't know him well. Was he the practical joke sort? That idea festered away in her brain throughout the day and by 4pm she was convinced that was the case. 
She had her hand on the car key, which was in the ignition, all set to drive back to Stockport and give Keith a piece of her mind with a possible side order of violence when the dot started to move. At first, she couldn't believe it. She stared at the screen of her phone, which was attached to the dashboard in stupefied silence as the dot sauntered down Park Green Road like it wasn't the most incredible, exciting thing ever. Shit! Lorna hollered, remembering why she was there and started the car. She reversed out of the space, narrowly avoiding hitting a grown man on a scooter, and took off in hot pursuit. She turned the corner just in time to see the dot stop about a hundred yards in front of her where a figure in a green hoodie with the hood up against the drizzle climbed in the passenger's side of a blue Ford Fiesta. As the car pulled away, the dot picked up speed, confirming Lorna's suspicions. As car chases went, it wasn't that exciting, mainly because it wasn't really a chase. She followed as the blue dot proceeded along the A537 towards Buxton. Theoretically, the tag would work anywhere, but the reality was it needed Wi-Fi networks or nearby devices or something. As they drove up into the Peak District, following the dot from a distance of what she reckoned was a few hundred metres, Lorna really wished she'd taken some time to read up on exactly how the damn tag thing worked instead of spending approximately 14 hours over the past couple of days playing Candy Crush. They climbed higher into the hills where buildings of any kind became few and far between and Lorna got more and more nervous. The traffic was light and the only signs of life she encountered was the occasional car coming the other way and bored-looking sheep regarding her impassively over fences as she drove by. Mobile signals were patchy up here at best. Her phone was showing one bar of 3G. The rain was steadily getting heavier, and it started to get foggy, or possibly they were ascending into low-hanging clouds. And then... The dot disappeared. One second it was there, the next it was gone. Lorna accelerated around a couple of bends, expecting to see the blue Ford Fiesta coming into view, but it didn't. She increased her speed to 70 miles per hour, far too fast for this road in any conditions, let alone these, but she was desperate now. 80 miles per hour. After 15 minutes of increasingly reckless driving, she caught up with a white van, but no sign of the blue Ford Fiesta. It was virtually impossible to overtake on most of this road, which meant that odds-on, she'd lost it. Damn it! She should have stayed closer. She pulled into a lay-by and executed a highly illegal U-turn. There'd been a couple of small roads running off the main one. Perhaps she could go down one of them and pick up the scent. Even as she thought it, it felt like the longest of long shots. Still, it was all she had. It was only when she reached the point where she'd originally lost the tracking that she finally admitted to herself that somehow she'd blown this. Diablo would find the air tag and undoubtedly change their method of receiving post, leaving Lorna none the wiser, sitting at her desk, unable to paint, whilst dodging calls from Gary Trainer asking where the hell his Terminator chaplain had got to. She slammed on the brakes and skidded into another tiny lay-by, which was really just a parking space. She had the sudden urge to stop as she didn't trust herself to keep driving. Tears were flowing down her face now. Messy, snotty tears. Not the kind of crying you see in movies. 
some part of her was aware she was having a kind of breakdown. Painting had been something she'd invested all of her self-esteem into, and it had all gone great until someone better came along, and then this, losing her mind, chasing a phantom around the Peak District, breaking into element games, stalking some poor person who just wanted to be left in peace. Lorna had no idea how long it had been, but she dried her eyes on the sleeve of her hoodie. Time to pull herself together, go home, possibly get drunk, and then tomorrow give herself a damn good talking to about letting her obsessive side run away with itself like this. This could be a learning experience. She could come out of it a better person. And besides, outside of embarrassing herself in front of Keith and having to come up with some kind of story to explain this away to Gary Trainer, what harm had she done really? Learning experience. She reached to turn on the ignition and stopped. The dot was back. The bloody dot was back. Not only that, it was just a couple of hundred yards away and stationary, up the hill from where she was. But it didn't make sense unless... In her defence, you'd never see it from a moving car. A gate so overgrown with weeds and bushes that it looked to be part of the verge. Snatching her phone from its cradle, Lorna got out and hurried across the road, too distracted to remember to take her coat out of the back seat. As the mizzle soaked through her hoodie, she stared down at the previously unnoticed gate. Up close, she could see it wasn't merely overgrown. It had been camouflaged. Diablo really didn't want visitors. Lorna stood there for a long moment, only coming back to the present when a truck whooshed by, startling her. The phone in her hand showed the dot standing stationary at the top of the hill. She could turn back now. Learning experience and all that, or... She climbed over the gate before she'd even made a conscious decision. Behind it lay a rough track that wound up the slope, avoiding rocky outcrops. Lorna zipped up her hoodie, shivering as the cold wind whipped around her soaking clothes. It wasn't that far in distance, but given the gradient of the path, she was breathing hard when she reached the top of the hill. She couldn't tell someone if they had asked what she'd been expecting to find, but this wasn't it. The Ford Fiesta sat beside a small ramshackle shed, which leant haphazardly against the rock face. It looked like it had blow over in a decent breeze, only there was more than that blowing already. Lorna approached the door slowly. Now that she was here, wherever exactly here was, it occurred to her that she'd no idea what she was going to say to whoever was behind that door. Hi, sorry to go against your express wish for privacy and all of the measures you've taken to assure it, but I'm a fellow painter and I need you to tell me how you're so good. It wasn't that it sounded unhinged, it was more that it very definitely was unhinged. Still, she was here now, and at the very least, he or she might throw Gary Trainer's chaplain Torrentus at her, which would at least solve that problem. She stopped in front of the red door, with its peeling paint, and knocked. Nothing happened. She waited, and then knocked again, louder this time. Still nothing. She cleared her throat. Hi! Hello! I'm really sorry to bother you. I'm... My name is Lorna and I'm a big fan of your work. 
It sounded incredibly weak to her and worthy of mocking laughter, but nothing came. There was still no response. Look, I'm not leaving, so... Still nothing. She was getting annoyed now. I know you're in there. At least have the decency to tell me to fuck off. Still nothing. Right, screw it. I'm coming in. Lorna pushed open the door to find a largely empty shed. There was a small camping stove, a battered metal kettle sitting beside it, along with one chipped mug. Beside the mug was the box containing Gary Trainer's chaplain. Apart from those items, there was a wardrobe standing against the back wall. Lorna picked up the box and then, because how could she not, she opened the wardrobe. There was nothing in it. At least no objects. It was just there to hide an opening in the face of the rock wall, leading into a cave that dim guidelights revealed, descending off into the unseen distance. You have got to be shitting me, she heard her voice echoing back to her. All right, she said, deliberately raising her volume. If you're down there, and I'm assuming you are, know that I'm coming down. I'm... I'm pretty sure I've entirely lost my mind, but I'm here for painting tips. She advanced forward. The cave was only wide enough to allow one person to walk down at a time. As her eyes adjusted to the dim lighting, she could see ahead of her a little more, but all that revealed was more cave, descending ever downward. The only sound was the rat-a-tat-tat of various water drips competing against each other to set the rhythm. A draft blew in from somewhere, causing goosebumps to rise on Lorna's arm. She kept expecting something to lurch out at her from the darkness, her imagination working overtime in all manner of unhelpful ways. She yelped as a voice boomed out of the depths. Turn back now! Final warning! For Christ's sake! Lorna screamed, clutching at her chest. That is... that is... that, that is... just mean! Her heart was pounding so loudly in her ears she could barely hear herself breathe. You know what? Screw you, buddy. I'm sick of your stupid bloody games. Lorna started stomping down the path, no longer even paying much attention to her footing. It appeared to be levelling out and then, just as she reached a flat area, she tripped over something in the darkness. Her body tensed as she pitched forward but then... Against the wishes of gravity, she just hung there, frozen in the act of falling. She looked down at the rock floor that was inexplicably not coming towards her. She tried to speak, but while her mouth moved a bit, no words came out. A small voice in her head repeated the words, Final warning. When had she received the first warning? There hadn't been one unless... The hood now down on the green hoodie. Keith's face appeared in her field of vision. He shook his head. I tried to warn you, Lorna. You can't say I didn't try to warn you. She heard a scraping noise of something heavy being dragged across rock. Then his wife 
Rachel appeared, hauling a large wooden chest behind her, muttering, No, no, no need to help me move the dressing up box, I'll do it myself. Lorna turned her head the fraction she was able to look at Rachel. She opened the lid of the box, and only then did she meet Lorna's gaze. To be fair, like he said, he did try and warn you. She reached into the box and pulled out two elaborate-looking outfits on hangers. Now, do you want to be a warrior princess or a bard? She gave each of them an assessing look. I'm going bard, I think. The warrior outfit's a bit zena, and no offence, you've not quite got the figure for it. Over the next few minutes, Lorna stayed frozen in the exact same position as Rachel, with some help from Keith, wrestled her into the bard outfit. It was the oddest sensation, like Lorna was both there and not there, as if she was all but disconnected from her own body. When they'd completed the process, the couple argued over exactly what pose she should be manoeuvred into. Eventually, they settled for one leg in the air, frozen mid-jaunty dance. Then, for the final touch, Rachel placed what appeared to be a mandolin in Lorna's hand. That done, she looked at Lorna's face again. Her brow furrowed in concentration. That's weird, said Rachel. She's smiling. Why is she smiling? Lorna could feel herself getting smaller now, as she had known she would. So when Keith walked back into her field of vision, he already towered over her. He bent down and looked at her face. After a moment, he smiled. Hmm. Curiosity killed the cat. But satisfaction made it whole. Thank you for listening to the Stranger Times podcast. If you enjoyed it, then please leave a rating wherever you get your pods. The Stranger Times series of books by C.K. MacDonald are available right now in all good bookshops. Check out thestrangetimes.com for loads more fun stuff and to sign up for the newsletter where just for subscribing, you'll get yourself a sweet free ebook containing some Stranger Times short stories. This podcast is produced by Rob B. at BEE with Ed Wilson and Wonderwife Exec Producing and all materials are copyright McFory Inc. Limited. All of the short stories written by me, C.K. McDonald, and the music is done by Alan McGuire with John McCullough as musical Sven Gallagher.